This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee and this is Campaign Catch-Up. We're at the halfway point of the 2022 federal election. It's Wednesday, the 27th of April. Today, Guardian Australia's political editor, Catherine Murphy, is joining me to explain how the climate wars could pan out this time around. But first, here's what happened today. Prime Minister Scott Morrison was in Rockhampton in central Queensland, trying to turn the national conversation back to the economy and the fact that it performed better than expected during the pandemic. So in six months' time, when that cash is gone and the fuel excise has gone back up, what will you be doing then to help with the cost of living? Uh, Making sure that our economy is strong, that we continue to manage our finances well, because that's what puts downward pressure on inflation. Morrison held his daily press conference before it was announced that annual inflation rose to 5.1%, prompting fears that interest rates could rise as soon as next week. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg was in Melbourne, saying the inflation rise was largely driven by international pressures like the war in Ukraine and the pandemic. Labor's campaign spokesman for the day, Jim Chalmers, was in Canberra, promising to support a global push for multinationals like Google and Facebook to face a minimum 15% tax rate. This is the triple whammy that Scott Morrison has presided over. Wages going backwards in real terms, cost of living going through the roof, and now an interest rate rise as well. And I think Australians are worried about that because they know that the government has got a plan to get them through the election, but they've dropped the ball in the longer term when it comes to taking some of the pressure in some of these areas where costs of living are acute. You know, we've got plans to make childcare cheaper, we've got plans to get power bills down, and we've got plans to get real wages going again. The government doesn't have sufficient plans in each of those areas to make that a reality. The PM and several coalition ministers were forced to clarify that the government is still committed to hitting net zero emissions by 2050 for a second day, after Nationals MP Matt Canavan contradicted the PM overnight by saying the target was, quote, dead. That's his view. It's no surprise. He's held it for a long time. That debate has been done in the coalition and is resolved. And our policy was set out very clearly. And, uh, and it has the strong support of, of the government. Shadow climate change spokesman Chris Bowen had to defend Labor's pledge to reform the safeguards mechanism against the government's attack line that it's a, quote, sneaky carbon tax. Why don't you say that this is a de facto carbon tax? Because it isn't, PK, and of course what it is is a sensible framework which business asked for, the BCA and the Australian Industry Group suggested to help our biggest emitters reduce their emissions over time to net zero by 2050. The scheme was first introduced under the Coalition's own Tony Abbott. It was meant to stop industrial emissions increasing and later to cut them. Under the Morrison government, that hasn't happened because it hasn't been fully enforced. And Labor, if elected, wants to enforce it so that it does what it was always intended to do. But that hasn't stopped the PM from pushing this scare campaign. What Labor is doing is binding them on this and issuing penalties on those companies. So they couldn't be more different. What Labor has is a tax, a sneaky carbon tax, on traditional industries in this country. Coming up, Catherine Murphy is here to discuss the political and environmental stakes of the climate wars at this election. Hey, Murph. Hello, lovely Jane. The Coalition's been trying to talk about national security but has been hindered by the Solomon Islands deal with China. Mm -hmm. And today, 
the coalition's been trying to push the conversation back to the economy, but something has stalled them in that effort as well, and that's the inflation rate rise. So where are we at now, Murph? Yeah, well, I think the best way to describe it, Love, is the, the campaign's at a bit of a crossroads, right? Mm. Today, as we're recording, it's been whacked by the largest inflation rise since the GST, and uh, associated with that, now a real and present risk that the Reserve Bank will lift interest rates during the campaign. So again, if we look sort of more broadly, what are we looking at in terms of the campaign? Well, we saw the opinion polls tightened as the campaign opened, and, and that that's what happens every election campaign. But since then, the surveys suggest that the contest is very mired, it's bogged down. And at the moment, the Liberal and National parties will be thinking that their primary vote is not comfortably where it needs to be in order to point to a definitive victory. So what we're seeing is that the government is on the hunt for knockout blows of various types. Mm. And the most obvious sort of dialer scare <laughs> campaign that they're reaching for really over the last couple of days is this idea of secret carbon taxes. Yeah. I mean, the coalition's been accusing Labor of a, quote, sneaky carbon tax. Mm -hmm. They've added a word to that's the true. attack. It's a, it's, a <laughs> it's a sneaky one now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Murph, remind us, why are these words, carbon tax, so politically toxic in Australia? Well, because uh, basically since uh, the Abbott era, carbon pricing and climate action has been weaponised in the Australian election contest in order to keep the coalition in power. Now, I wish I could be more diplomatic about that or more forgiving about that, but those are the facts. They have a tried and true weaponisation strategy where sort of uh, projecting a, into people's fear of the future into people's fear of the costs of this transition, uh, you know, to basically divide and conquer, mm. to basically, uh, you know, to find a formula that keeps the coalition in power. Mm. I mean, having said that, since that phrase was first found and proven to be so potent, you know, a lot has happened since since then. You know, we've seen climate change discussed in the same breath as devastating bushfires and floods around the country. There seems to be more of an acceptance of the impact of climate change ongoing. And the coalition's even gone to Glasgow committing to net zero by 2050. So why is the Morrison government seeking to revive a climate war again this election? It just doesn't seem as potentially, you know... Knockout, knockout blow. Knockout as, as we might have expected a few years no, ago. No, no, and that's a very wise assessment. And I think it, it, we sort of, if we track back to what we were talking about a minute ago, the sort of, the coalition at the moment is in the world of no good options. Mm. So now the coalition has a two constituency problem. And that was what we saw really Labor impaled on in the 2019 contest, the two constituency problem between a city progressive constituency that wanted climate action and its traditional working class base. And in 2019, the coalition were able to weaponise that chasm between the interests of the two constituencies very effectively. Now we see a bit of a reversal of that. We see the coalition vulnerable on this point. Its own progressive city constituency saying, hey, guys, 
your position on this is crap and it's getting to the point where we can't vote for you anymore. It's so bad, right? So the coalition is hearing that message in the city, but it still wants the opportunity of weaponising the issue in regional contests. Mm, It's really interesting because you see the Prime Minister today, on the one hand, he's playing to one part of the electorate by saying, we're totally committed to net zero, we took it to Glasgow, nothing to see here, and in the next breath saying that this is a sneaky carbon tax. Mm -hmm. So playing to two different constituencies, (laughs) as you've said, in the same press conference. And I wonder, I mean, obviously it's a calculation always is what I'm learning, but does this signal that the coalition is prepared to give up the fight against teal, climate-focused independence in those inner-city Liberal seats, calculating that they're sacrificing them for the bigger win Mm. perhaps in in broader Conservative seats? There's a, a lot of evidence that sort of is suggestive that that's the play. But the thing is, look, this, this might prove a masterstroke. Yeah, we might end up on May 21 where the coalition has lost two metropolitan seats to independents but picked up a swag of Labor seats because you know, people in the Hunter or, you know, somewhere else in the country actually believe that Labor is proposing a sneaky carbon tax, right? But I do think it is a very, very risky strategy. If you're the government at the moment, you need to hold your own seats as well as pick up Labor seats, right? The sort of working comparison has been with um, Boris Johnson's strategy in the election immediately following Brexit. The discussion here has been, is Morrison doing a Johnson? And this is sort of all animated by the fact that a lot of their advisers, their backroom advisers cross over. You know, people who work for Johnson uh, are, are working on this campaign and Australians have worked on British election campaigns for the Tories, right? So, but, and look, maybe I fatally understood the Johnson strategy, but I I think in his election where this was relevant, which I think was 2019, the point of it, the point of the breakthrough was that he managed to hold his own constituency as well as break through and get a whole bunch of traditional Labor voters, right? So this is what I mean about it being risky, Uh, It's not clear at the moment whether or not Morrison can pull off that particular conjuring trick. We'll see what happens, Jane. It's it's pretty complicated and pretty risky in my view, Uh, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe these guys are geniuses. We're going to find out. I mean, Murph, you've covered politics and climate policy for a very long time. You've watched the climate wars up close. I just wonder what, you know, now we're at a, a point, a milestone in the election where We have two parties, Labor far less ambitious than it used to be on climate, but the coalition even less ambitious. What do you think is at stake at this point? Well, this is is not a game. The science tells us that we don't have long to go in order to forestall the most serious risks associated with global heating. We need to make this transition. And if you're a government, you know, if you're serious, if you want power... If you want to be the government, then power has got to be for a purpose. You don't sit back and wait for the future to whack you. You shape the future. That's That's what government is supposed to be about. So, you know, the reason I get fired up about this is because it is a colossal failure of the national interest to not treat these risks seriously, to fail to plan, you know, in order to execute this transition. 
You know, I'm, I am a figure in the public space. I have a voice. I have a responsibility to stand up for my kids, their kids, everybody's kids, right? When I see, you know, that, that basically sense being hijacked by partisan politics. So I think a number of people who have been around this table for a long time are sick of the repeat cycles of weaponisation, lying and the abrogation of the, of the national interest. It has to stop. And that's, you know, that's, that's what this whole conversation's about. Thanks so much for your time, Murph. I'll speak to you soon. It's my pleasure. That's your campaign catch-up for today. If you haven't had your fill of politics just yet, I recommend you check out our culture podcast, Saved for Later. Today's episode features a really interesting discussion on the political memes that major parties are using to target young voters on social media. It turns politicians into like sitcom characters, into cartoon characters from like a reality TV show. So are we just distracting ourselves from the conversations we actually need to be having? I am split, which is on one hand, I think that it is really important that young people don't lose sight of every single piece of content produced by a politician or produced by anyone affiliated with a political party has to be viewed cynically. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I think that we have a problem where you have a group of young people who are really politically engaged in Australia and then no one talking to them from Canberra. Just search for Save for Later wherever you're listening to this podcast. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Karishma Luthria, Rob Caldor and me, Jane Lee. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.